My man, Con Cron, Connor Letourneau. You can follow him on Twitter at C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N. Former beat writer, still covers the Warriors for the San Francisco Chronicle. Connor, it's an off day. Doesn't mean there's a shortage of news. Are you ready to go and rock this scene? Yeah, man. Off days are the best days. Like, I always felt like when I was on the beat, my best coverage was on off days. So let's, let's do oh, it. Let's get into it. This is Locked on Warriors. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use the promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Connor Laterno, again, you can follow him on Twitter at con underscore cron. You can follow me, Cyrus Sotzes, on Twitter at DogSurfRoadShow and this program on Twitter at Locked On Dubs. Connor, great to see you, my man. You just uh, you were covering the Warriors all day at Chase Center. They had a few press conference uh, uh, interview schedules. Steve Kerr uh, was the one I was uh, evaluating. I tried to get a question and I, and I did and I did not. But he said something very interesting when it came to uh, Nemanja Bjelica, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. If not, my apologies. Where he admitted that uh, Belly is going to be part of the postseason rotation. He even listed the five guys that are going to be on the court, the four alongside Belly being Gary Payne II, Andre Iguodala, Otto Porter Jr., uh, and the pool party, Jordan Poole. Uh, what did you take from that and and the overall interviews today? Yeah, I think Belly's emergence has been one of the more surprising developments in the late part of the season, the latter part of the season. Um, just a few weeks ago, I had personally kind of written him off. Um, but what I'm realizing about Belly is that he's one of those guys who needs players like Draymond and Iguodala out there to showcase what he can do. Um, everyone knows Belly as a pick and pop big, as a floor spacing big. You know, the thing about Belly that I've always liked is he's a really good passer. He came mm-hmm. up playing the game as a point guard. You can kind of see that in his game. He sees the floor really well. He sets good screens. He moves off the ball well. His big hole is that he can't play defense. Um, <laughs> but having Draymond out there helps him disguise some of that, hide, hide some of that. And, uh, you know, you saw in the sack game him go off and he really, really showcased his strengths. And so I'm not shocked to see – Steve, uh, you know, voice support. I don't I don't think that – I'm not convinced that Belly will be in every game rotation piece in the playoffs, Same. but he'll definitely get minutes. Um, one thing I'm curious about, what what does that mean for Kaminga? Is, is Kaminga not in the playoff rotation right now? It kind of seems like it. Dude, I – I would that literally um, so so the way for people that aren't familiar with this, the way these press conferences work is individuals like yourself and a lot of other uh, reporters and media members are at Chase Center where they hold this thing. And then since the pandemic, they open up the Zoom feature, which for people like me that hate leaving their house is amazing. Um, Anthony Slater, who's usually there for some reason, wasn't. He was on the Zoom with me and I tried to get in there. I just thought of a question at the end, but it was either too late or. I don't know, man. Kerr is kind of being selective with who he takes Zoom questions from these days, and maybe rightfully so. Um, but I wanted to ask about that, about Kaminga and what he sees uh, in terms of his postseason role, because 
it's a great question. I mean, Kobe Bryant uh, uh, in in his rookie season, I mean, he was he was in high straight out of high school. I think he was a year younger than Kaminga. Did play the postseason with mixed results. I think I think back then Phil Jackson saw. A play, I don't know if Phil was a coach then, but if he was, I think he saw the greatness in Kobe and just didn't want to slow him down and shelter him and hide him. And I kind of feel the same way about Kaminga. Like if you're Kerr and, and based off your own personal experience with the team, like do you think Kaminga plays in the postseason and and would you play him? One well, on, on a basic level is is Kaminga one of the best eight players on this team? I personally think he is. Um, I, I really do. I know that he's not – when it comes to the playoffs, coaches want to lean in to guys who are established, who are proven commodities, who don't make a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, um, guys who you can throw them out there and know what you're going to get out of, out of them. And Kaminga isn't that. Um, you know, he's definitely a rookie. He's definitely a 19-year-old rookie who's going to go out there and make mistakes. But – he has proven that when he plays hard, he can overshadow any mistakes he's going to make. Um, he's definitely a net positive already at this stage of his career. And so I personally think he can bring more to the table, even than someone like Belly, even though I was just over here complimenting Belly a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. I, I think that uh, when push comes to shove, you're going to get more out of Kaminga. He's also much better defensively. And, you know, that old saying, defense wins championships. Right? Yep. So I – if it was between Belly and Kaminga for the pl- final rotation spot in the playoffs, I would give it to Kaminga. But that's just me. I don't get paid deeper money. So 100% with you, dude. I, that's exactly how I feel. And, and you're right, man. When you're as physically talented as Kaminga is, he can overcome these deficiencies that still plague him given he's a rookie – uh, the one thing I liked about Kerr specifying the rotation is is Belly being out there with those other four individuals makes up for a lot of his own deficiencies defensively. And when you have Gary Payton II, who's clearly earned a role in this team, uh, when you have Andre Iguodala, who sat out the whole year pretty much until just a few few uh, days ago, and now he's going to be part of the rotation, obviously. Um, and Otto Porter Jr., I think, is an underrated defender as well. He's just a great all-around player, uh, although he has had some moments where he deserves criticism defensively. But overall, he's he's a solid player. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes out there. Yeah, I could see Belly fitting in. But dude, what, what are your thoughts? I, from what I can tell about Belly defensively, and I haven't like done a deep dive on his defensive film or anything, but from what I can tell just watching the games is that he understands spacing and angles. He knows where to physically be. He's just you know, doesn't have great lateral quickness and, you know, doesn't have the physical tools to be great defensively, but he, uh, he understands how to play defense, which, you know, is more than you can say about a lot of guys. And I think when you have guys who are more physically gifted on the floor with him defensively, it definitely does help. And, you know, I think he knows how to play help side and do all those types of things. Um, Hmm. I, I don't think he's the level of a defensive liability that some other players have been. Uh, Quinn Cook or you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, some other role players, the Warriors, yeah. Nick Young, uh, <laughs> some other uh, role players the Warriors have had over the years. Schmick Young. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, uh, no, that is funny. So speaking of um, defense, a player that is – I've been a little critical of recently defensively, and I think justifiably so. I never really got any pushback on this, is Clay Thompson. I feel like that's one part of his game that – 
has regressed. Remains to be seen if it's just because of the layoff and he's trying to regain his footing. But people are blowing by him defensively like they are with Belly. And Clay, and I guess, first off, do you agree with that? Like, do you think Clay is kind of hurting the team defensively a little bit? Or am I am I, am I wrong here? No, I mean, it, defense is hard sometimes because, like, I think a lot of people put a ton of stock in defensive rating and things like that. But defensive ratings can be misleading. Uh, it depends on who you're on the floor with. Uh, some people are more into, like, the really niche defensive stats, like defensive real plus minus and things like that. But all those are somewhat can be misleading. And if you remember when Clay Thompson won, uh, was named all-defensive team, his analytics, his defensive analytics were not good. Um, they've never been great, actually. Uh, you, with him, it's kind of an eye test thing. You, you, you can watch a game and know that he's doing his part, you know, that he's making life difficult on these high-scoring wings. And, um, yeah, he definitely – he definitely does seem a step slow defensively. And to me, that was always the big question for him coming back. You know, I felt like offensively, he's always been a catch and shoot guy. He's always been good moving off the ball. I didn't think that would be a huge issue coming off those injuries. But in terms of his lateral quickness, that was a bigger question. And I think that's playing true to form a little bit. I, I totally agree with you, man. And when we and in just a moment, I'm going to play this video from the press conference because I was there for the Kerr aspect of it. Damian Lee uh, was answering a lot of questions. Um, I tuned out before Clay Thompson arrived, but Clay was a, it was feisty version of Clay. It was a, it was a, I don't care about you and I don't want to be here, Clay. Uh, and we'll, we'll cover that in just a moment. Um, first off, Prize Picks, a longtime sponsor of this program, uh, is an awesome way to play online sports, right? It's like, it's daily fantasy. You're, you're betting with money, and it's an award-winning app. Prize Picks is fun, and, and it's easy to use. You just pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. So Bielitsa, for example, you could bet on him maybe scoring a certain amount of points. He had an awesome game against the Kings. That is a King, so we'll see how it goes long-term. But the point is you could actually make money on these kinds of projections. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. And one of the best parts is it's an easy withdrawal process in terms of getting your money back. That's always a massive plus for me. And for a limited time, PricePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all our users. Users get $50 for free if a player in your first PricePix entry scores just a single Point, but you must use the code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to locked on fans. Sign up today and use our code NBA to get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores just a single point. And today's show is also brought to you by Bet Online. This is definitely a gambling uh, commercial break right here. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. So, for example, if you want to make some picks with prize picks, Go to betonline.net to get the information you need before you make that pick. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championships. I'm really stoked on that. Odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues of the season. Connor, do you follow the Masters? Are you a golf aficionado? Um, no, not at all. I okay. don't play golf at all, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, love it. I love it. This is short and sweet. Well, you could find all the latest sports developments, including the Masters, as I just mentioned, by just going to betonline.net. They're your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. 
Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online. It's where the game starts. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts, free and available wherever you get podcasts. Connor Letourneau is on Twitter at C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N, Con underscore Cron. Con, I want to say on a personal note, I really love doing shows with you. I dig our chemistry. So thanks for coming on today, man. It's always fun. Uh, do, tell me what, do you mind telling the audience what you told me a moment ago about Clay Thompson's uh, demeanor and his attitude in the press conference because I I find it yeah. amusing personally. Yeah, so you know the thing about Clay is you know he's not even though he's historically w- beloved by media members and fans he often just is not into it. Um, mm-hmm. And today he was really not feeling it. Uh, he was way late. I mean we we're all waiting around for I want to say an hour, close to an oh. hour. It felt, like, it felt like an hour. If it wasn't an hour, it felt like an hour. <laughs> Uh, for a long time just to talk to him and he shows up and he sits down and he pulls out his phone he's just scrolling through his phone texting people doing his thing we start asking him questions he's still texting people uh you know (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna play this video on mute while you're talking just to show people because uh 95.7 the game's twitter account literally captured the video footage continue on please while i play this yeah he literally just uh did not seem to care about the fact that he was at a in a press conference setting. I mean, and he was, you know how when you're trying to answer someone, but you're not actually thinking about what you're saying because you're distracted. Oh, yeah. That's yes. definitely where he was to the point where like <laughs> Kareth even asked him, What are you doing? And he was like, just just responding to some texts and just kind of like just not even understanding that like we're kind of calling you out right here. He just didn't care, you know. He, just, he doesn't care. No, of course he doesn't care. No, he's <laughs> Um, and he finally puts his head up. Yeah. That was comedy, man. He does not care at all. A huge reason we're Here's recording the this, by Clay, the way. Clay has has somehow worked it so that he can do things that everyone else would think were, was completely rude and disrespectful yes. and would upset everyone else if, if anyone else did it. But uh, if Clay does it, it's all good, bro. You're Clay, man. He's got the cachet, man. He's you got the cachet. Bro. You're right. How many people can get away with it? Uh, but so what did he say when you asked him a great question and, and, I'm, and we're going to lead into the, another story topic in a second as well. You brought up uh, Bielitsa and you said he got kind of passionate that, that that got his attention. What did he say about that? I couldn't find the video. I not asked released him him. a question about Ellie and basically I ended it with something to the effect of, you know, do you, do you think that because he's somewhat of a unique player that maybe the casual fan can't fully appreciate his game? And he's like, oh, what a, I forget exactly what he said, but it was something to the effect of, oh, dude, screw fans, man. Like, we don't care about fans. Like, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's those diehards out there who loved us when we were losing, but anyone who's come on since we started winning, like, screw you. Like, we don't need you guys. You're just, you know, just talking shit and blah, blah, blah. And he felt like very passionate about it. And it was like, okay, I was just asking you a question about belly i was not asking for your thoughts on the fan base uh but uh he went on this little rant and then eventually caught himself and i was like oh yeah it's about belly so then he answered my question about belly 
but that's revealing though man because yeah. what that tells me is that I mean, we all know that these these players, and there's a huge reason why NBA Twitter is a thing, is because all these players we know are checking regularly what people are saying about them, and there's this is clearly revealing that they're seeing the criticism. I do love that Clay has to add. In, what's up? Did you know that every single day, every member in the Warriors is emailed the clips about the team. Every single story that's written about the clips, written about the team, is emailed to the to the coaches and players and front office people every single day for better or worse. Like it's so regardless the, of what everything that's written. So the negative stuff is to them. Everything is sent to them. Does that include tweets? No, no. Okay. Stories. Okay. It's stories. So um, everything I write, everything Slater writes, everything any of the beat writers or national guys writes uh, is sent in a, in a email to every member of the organization every single day. So it's not even that they have to actively search for this. I mean, it's literally sent to them. And it's handed to them. That's crazy. As I know some ignore that email every day. Like, just like I'm sure all of us employees ignore certain emails from our employers every day. Yes. Um, and <laughs> some of us, some of them read every, read every, not maybe every single story, but they thoroughly vet what is sent them, to them every day. And well, I, that's, that that's something a- I learned my first year on the beat because I was like, man, because, I, you know, Steve would pull me aside or something or some random assistant would pull me aside about a story. I'm like, wow, are they checking Twitter that much? And I realized, no, they're just emailed them. That's um that, ex- that and that goes to a few years back. There was that infamous uh, uh, exchange at a press conference between Kevin Durant and Ethan Strauss, which I'm guessing resulted largely from those emails. Right. Well, like Ke- Kevin might have actually you know, Kevin monitored Twitter very closely. So there, there is a chance he found that on Twitter, but I mean, um, they are, they are abreast on everything that's written about him. And, you know, not everything I write about the Warriors is positive, you know, mm-hmm. that, that all those. I've never, stories- heard, but I've, I've never seen you ever attack an individual though. At least, I've never, I've never, I, have you been called out for that by players for attacking a player? No, I think, I think what I, what I've gotten uh, what I've had people take issue with before is are my headlines and stories like, mm. I, you know, and I'm like, did you read the story? though? Mm-hmm. And like, no, I'm like, well, I didn't write the headline, first of all. And yes. second of all, you know, read the story and you'll see that even if I, I dealt with a, a, a subject matter that was maybe a little tricky or maybe not the most positive, I think you'll see that I handled it with care because I try mm-hmm. to handle everything with care and navigate i mean i'm not out here to bash people like i'm out here to uh enlighten and inform and hopefully move the needle in terms of insight and so i've never bashed anyone i think any writer who bashes someone in a story a has some personal vendetta vendetta against that person b is unprofessional and c probably you know isn't the most skilled writer Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and, um, look, it's, and this is one of those things that's very esoteric. You know, if you, if you haven't worked in sports media, it's a lot harder to understand, but I have seen a lot of altercations, a lot of confrontations between athletes and reporters where, where athletes are just getting right in the face of, of, of a media member really upset. I mean, there's a lot of sensitivity when, when something's written about them. And most of the time just very unfounded. Like I, because I saw an, I remember seeing an altercation one time many years ago with AJ Pruszynski of the uh, of the then San Francisco Giants. I forgot whose face he, he got into, 
And I was like, what is this about? And then I read the story and it was the most harmless, innocuous content I've ever well, written. Sometimes these guys like, will get upset about things without reading them. Like yeah, I said, that's crazy. You know, they'll get upset about the headline or they'll get upset about what they were told this, what they were told the story was about. And my, and the few times where I've been approached by a player or a coach about something I wrote, cause they weren't happy about it. I, the first thing I asked is, did you read the story? And, <laughs> and sometimes they'll say straight up, no. And sometimes they'll say, well, I read the lead or I read the beginning of it. And it's like, yeah. no, you need to read the whole story before I'm going to have a conversation with you about this. Like go, go quick, pull out your phone, read it real quick. It'll take you two minutes and then we can have a conversation about it because I can't have an enlightened conversation with you about something I wrote unless you actually wrote, read it. Right. That is totally fair on your part. And um, you know what I love that Twitter's doing now is if you reply to a tweet that has a story, it actually literally says, do you want to read the article first? I really love that feature. I mean, I'm guessing most people still say no, but Here, it's I get on my straight box man. even more a little bit like, people in america don't read anymore man people don't read no. and it's it, i think if if people just read you know if you stayed up on current events if you just you know looked up checked out the new york times washington post every day read the the big headlines on your local paper uh you know read the stories on the front page of your paper every day the world would be such a better place man agreed agreed really man no you're that's I, there's nothing i can say to that except yes you are right um, well, I want to save people money because that's a huge problem in this world. And maybe they just don't have time to read as much as they used to because they're constantly working. And I hope that's not the case, but people should be reading. But if you need to save money, Rock Auto is a great way to do that. I mean, we are all driving. We have nearly all of us have cars out there since this pandemic started. Way more people are driving than before because most people want to avoid public transportation. And with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning? Like, is your Honda uh, Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have the computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? An example being the same Honda Odyssey I just mentioned a moment ago. Their fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, just $216 from Rock Auto. They're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. I love having a sponsor that I could actually personally endorse. Rock Auto is legit go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us section so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com you are locked on warriors your daily golden state warriors podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow Connor Letourneau on Twitter at C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N. Con 
underscore cron. Um, your paper is producing, I believe, not one but two awesome profile pieces on members of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, CJ Holmes was on with me yesterday and said that his Jordan Poole piece was almost finalized, and that is really exclusive. I mean, you don't see Jordan Poole doing many interviews, but then you're working on a, on a, on a really exclusive profile piece as well with Bielitsa, who we've been talking about today. I, you're, uh, I love I love the hype machine, man. It's not a big deal story, bro. It's like, I think it is. I think story. it is. I mean, these aren't stories you read often, and great profile pieces are how you learn about these individuals. How was your interview with Bielitsa, man? It was good. It was good. Um, you know, one of the, when I was when I was uh, on the beat, like one of my things was I I really tried to have sit downs with every member of the organization because I think every member of the organization has in, an interesting story to tell, and I think it's really easy to just focus on the big name guys. Um, mm -hmm. But I was always attracted to kind of the role player type type guys because I think oftentimes they have more to say because their story hasn't been told. Whereas everyone knows everything there is to know about Steph Curry. Everyone yep. knows I've read, I've read the same three stories about Draymond Green millions of times. <laughs> and I'm not saying there isn't anything new to say about Draymond, but you know, it's hard. <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, so for me, it was all just about like trying to say something new and, and interesting. Uh -huh. And uh, I talked to belly earlier in the season and he revealed to me, that he almost left the NBA uh, last summer, that he almost went back to Europe. He was kind of disappointed and frustrated by how, by how his career was going. He felt like he wasn't utilized properly. Keep in mind, this guy was EuroLeague MVP in Europe before he came over, and he went from that to being a role player on bad teams. You know, he was in Minnesota, then he was in Sacramento, then he was on a good Heat team but wasn't playing. Um, right. And so I think there was a lot of frustration, and – um, I think he he feels like for the first time in his career, he's in a situation with Golden State where he's valued. And uh, Steve Kerr said something interesting today. He said that by giving Belly those two DMPs recently, he realized he was reminded of Belly's value because he's like he basically said the offense doesn't flow as well. We're not as much of in rhythm and. That's what I talked to Belly a lot about is just kind of the nature of his game and how, um, you know, how it is being the type of player where your your value takes a certain carries a certain level of nuance to it. And he basically said that he felt like there were coaches in his past who didn't understand what he was as a mm -hmm. player. You know, he they just thought he was a pick and pop big. And as we talked about earlier on this podcast, he's a really good passer, man. He mm -hmm. can initiate the offense. Like he's he was a starting point guard in the Euroleague for years. People don't point know guard. That. Point guard, yeah. Wow. He he was he started, he told me today he started every position in his career. That's versatility, literally. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, look, I I I've been critical of him for the last two, three months simply because there's been a clear regression. Uh, I don't know if the injury played a part in that. And, and and like you said, Kerr mentioned the fact that he was out. Players have to play to gain a rhythm. But defensively, I was really critical. I still yeah. don't know if defensively he's suddenly turned things around. Offensively, though, he clearly has. Um, he gives them a post-up player that they really don't have otherwise, with the exception of maybe Kaminga. Um, and, yeah, it looks like he's going to be playing the postseason. So if it's 2021, Belly, I'm all in, dude. Um I want to share with you. I did this uh, this this poll. I want to get in some fun subjects here before you go. 
Uh, I did this poll on Twitter with the Locked On Dubs account that it was a trade proposal. Weird timing, but it, the timing for me wasn't that weird just in the sense that the Lakers season is pretty much over. It's not official yet, but it's about to be. Um, the Warriors play them Thursday and could literally put that sword right through the heart and, and finish the season once and for all. Um, but my trade proposal was this. And I actually thought of a similar trade to this during the offseason because I got the receipts, man. I was calling the Lakers end back in last August. And I'm not bragging about that. I think a lot of people were. But I was saying that if the Lakers were smart, they would start the rebuild last year, not go through this whole ridiculous season, especially with Westbrook. But what do you think of this trade, man? Because this was a surprisingly divisive. It was a 55-45 vote final um, where the Warriors would hypothetically trade Andrew Wiggins. So I think you and I both are on the same page where he is not part of the long-term plan unless he takes a drastic pay cut, which neither of us see happening. No. Um, so would you trade Wiggins, James Wiseman, and three future first-rounders for Anthony Davis of the Lakers? Would you agree to that and why? That's honestly a great question. And it's great because you didn't include Kaminga in that question. Uh, If you had included Kaminga, I would have been like, I'm not trading Kaminga. But, um, you know, Anthony Davis is 29 years old. Here's the thing. I don't actually think Anthony Davis would be a great fit on the Warriors. Interesting. Uh, um, The way he plays, it's not super conducive, in my opinion, to the Warriors system. I mean, Hmm. the Warriors historically – have not wanted 20 and 10 bigs. Um, you know, they they don't even they don't they don't go after those guys. There's a reason for it. The way their system is built, they need that big man to be more of a fulcrum of the offense, to be able to read and react, um, not necessarily be a go-to guy. You know, that's why Kevon Looney was so has been so good for the Warriors, why David West and Zaza Pachulia had nice roles for the Warriors. Um, so could the I mean Anthony Davis is so talented where if you could have him, I'm sure you would take him and figure it out. But is it worth giving up all that for someone who I don't think isn't necessarily a perfect fit? I don't don't know. Like you said, Andrew Wiggins, I haven't looked at the salary cap ramifications of this or or of Anthony Davis's contract or anything, but just surface level, they're not going to be able to afford Andrew Wiggins long-term anyway. Right. Um, they have a really important deadline coming up with James Wiseman, October 31st, uh, 12.1. You wrote a a story about this, by the way. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to touch on this and I almost forgot. You wrote a great story on this about a week or two ago about James Wiseman's future with the team. Uh, And that actually partly prompted this trade because you're right. He's commanding 12 million a year. Uh, He hasn't He's barely played ever. Um, Didn't play at all this year. What is, the, in your opinion, uh, you know, what do you think the long-term plan is for James Wiseman? Like, I mean, I know it's hard to tell because. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason I wrote that story is because I was kind of like looking at it when when they announced, you know, when it became clear that he wasn't going to play the rest of the season. I wrote that story technically before, right before they officially announced that he was shut down for the year. But it was pretty clear he wasn't going to play. And I was asking myself, why is no one talking about what this means for his future? Like, um he has his player option needs to be picked up October 31st, which is toward the beginning of next season. And he's missing the rest of this season. And best case scenario, he's back for summer league. Okay. Which would be his first summer league. And so, but it's summer league. Like it's hard to fully evaluate someone in summer league against all these guys who aren't going to play in the NBA and rookies. And then you go into the regular season and he'll have like, 
a week, a couple of weeks until you have to decide whether or not to pick up his option. And for to me, that's an impossible situation for the Warriors because that from a salary cap standpoint, a financial standpoint, that's a really important decision. Because as we've talked mm-hmm. about on the call before, they're already so deep in the luxury tax. $12 million is going to be exponentially more with the luxury tax. And that's an enormous investment in a player who has not really proven anything yet. Um, <laughs> the, same, on the, the flip side of that is what else are the Warriors supposed to do? I mean, mm-hmm. they can't really trade him. He doesn't really have any market value right now. And you you don't just let him walk. You don't just like not pick up the option and don't, not trade him. you got to get something back for him. He was a number two yep. pick. He still has a lot of potential. Um, so I think they're going to end up picking up the option just because there's not really another, there's not a better option for them. Um, uh, but it's not an ideal situation at all. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's fascinating to me because on one hand, uh, if the Warriors just basically don't resign them, they're, they're having to, their pride's going to get bruised because they're going to admit that they wasted a number two pick on nothing. But if they keep them, they got to spend that extra money, which we've also come to the realization they don't like doing. So either answer, either direction is not one they really like. <laughs> and they're in a pickle, man. It's a lesser it's a of two evils. But the truth is that if they pick up the option and he ends up being a total bust, which is a possibility, like that could be disastrous for them. Oh, so. and that's part of the reason why I propose that trade because at least for next year, the Warriors would save money. Anthony Davis. So the more I think about it, I would do that trade. Um, yeah. Because I, I also think that you have enough really good young guys right now to build around for the long-term future. Yes. You know, so like Jordan Poole is the dude. Kaminga is the dude. Uh, Moody is going to be a really good rotation player for a long time in this league. Um, you can build around those guys. My point being, you don't need to have a bunch of first next couple of years. Um, and then, uh, that'll also help you out salary cap wise in a major yep. way. And, uh, so, and it, it also solves some problems in terms of, you don't have to have all the, the hand wringing and frustrations and, uh, you know, uh, confusion around what to do with Wiseman and Wiggins. Cause you know, un- unless something like this comes up, they're going to have some really tough decisions to make. Oh, heck yeah. And, and last time we had you on, I think, uh, you mentioned that the Warriors reportedly eyeing a four year, $80 million extension for pool. That was like three weeks ago. A he's lot been has even better. Yeah. <laughs> a lot I, has changed. I heard I don't someone think on the radio say like 30 million a year, uh, which, I mean, that's a lot of money. I, I still – the thing is there's probably going to be a team out there that if, if he hits restrictive free agency, there's probably going to be a team out there that's just going to make an absolute absurd offer sheet for him. Well, and like, what I don't absurd. like about, about it, letting him go to restricted free agency is he could totally screw the Warriors uh, by, by accepting a one-year deal. And then he would be just completely on the open market a year later, even if the, the Warriors match that. That's why I, I really don't want to the Warriors to it'll, let him. Get- it'll be up to him, though. Like it, they, yeah. could, they could bring him a four year, $80 million contract tomorrow. And if, I wouldn't blame him for wanting to see what the market is for himself you now. So yeah. it's very possible that he'll end up hitting restrictive free agency, getting some crazy absurd offer from like Orlando 
or just uh-huh. from a team that just desperately needs a face of the franchise. San Antonio. And, there's a lot of te- there's teams out there. I think would, would yeah. Want and then him. San Antonio almost drafted him. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so I could see that. I could see that happening, but um, even if he gets a crazy offer sheet, I honestly think the Warriors will do whatever they need to do to keep him long term. Especially when you have a homegrown guy like that. Also, mm-hmm. you know how it is, it's like they feel pretty good about the fact that they took him twenty eighth. Like that's like there's some pride factor there. Like yeah, we yeah we found him. You also took yep. Jacob Evans at twenty eighth year before, but we can forget. Yeah. About that. Um, <laughs> the, Jacob the, Evans, the, the, the ninth man for the Santa Cruz Warriors right now. Um, I mean, but, look, uh, it's hard to it's hard to score with those late picks. Is Jordan Bell's another name they drafted late, and, and these these are guys who are now Patrick in the G McCaw, League. And, you know, Patrick McCaw. I think thirty three percent success rate when you're picking that late is is good. Well, I gotta give Myers credit that. He was thirtieth. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I I want to um uh, dude, if you got to run, just do some symbol to me, man, because I I I want to touch on one more thing with you, maybe even two, but at least one. Uh, here's what I want to share the screen with you: Draymond Green, who is now an NBA player and a media member, uh, recently uh, announced his award picks. Would love your thoughts. You've you've literally been a voter for these awards in the past. I don't know if you're voting this year. I, I guess I'd like if you if you could clarify that, that as well. Um, are you voting? No, I'm off the beat, so uh, no, okay. that would probably so go it might be CJ. CJ. So and um, who's your MVP this year? That's an interesting pick. Um, I honestly don't feel like Draymond calls I don't feel like Devin, Devin Booker, Booker gets enough love in that conversation. Um, I don't think that he should be MVP. But I understand. I, I can, I can see. Just looking at this list, I see what Draymond's thought process was in putting it uh-huh. together. He obviously really values winning, which isn't a surprise. Yes. Um, and I personally, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday about Jordan Poole's most improved player chances. He, if he's not the front runner for MIP, he should be. Um, he really should be. Uh, when I had looked at it like a month ago, he was like not even in terms of Vegas odds and stuff. He was like fifth. And I was like, he should at least be in the top two or three. Um, and I think what he's done the past couple of weeks, he's, he should be the runner. So I would have him as my most improved player. I don't know right now who I'd have as my MVP. I'd have to think about it, but I understand okay. why you'd have Booker. Um, I don't think the Suns get enough love. I mean, what they've done this year has been absolutely incredible. Um, I like the Mikhail Bridges defensive player of the year pick. Evan Mobley should 100% be rookie of the year. Uh, there's a yeah. couple of deserving candidates, but Mobley is a freaking stud. And what Cleveland has done this year as a team that no one thought anything of has completely <laughs> overachieved in large part because Evan Mobley as a rookie is one of the best big men in this league, 100%. Ime Udoka as coach of the year. Uh, I'm surprised by that pick a little bit. I wouldn't have him as mine, but you know, who's I'm, your coach of the year? He's a Portland guy, so that's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my coach of the year, I'd have to think about it. Um, okay, maybe Bickerstaff. I, I mean, there's there's several very deserving candidates. I really, I really like what Jenkins and Memphis is doing. You know, it's it's the guys who don't have the big names who are like killing it this year. Yeah, 
That's fair. I, 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 I'm pretty uh, set on mine, but again, there's still three games and this season is just that topsy turvy. I think Giannis deserves MVP. Um, he's such a special player to me. He is, it's, he's still underrated despite the fact that he is a reigning finals MVP. Um, I also think he should be defensive player of the year. I, as much as, as good as Mikhail Bridges has been, I think Giannis has more of an impact defensively. I guess the ultimate thing is for me, if Giannis is not a member of that Bucks team, they're not doing jack squat. Whereas the Suns have shown they could survive without Devin Booker. Uh, I hate seeing John Morant mentioned anywhere. I don't think he deserves most improved player just because he's too big of a star. And it's not like, and it's not like he had a bad year last year. Um, well, so I'm with you John Jordan. Morant, as great as John Morant is, what is Memphis's record without him this year? It's like 18 and two or something. Like and maybe and that's, that's, it's something like that. Yeah. It's yeah, insane. I mean, I think, I think that, and this is a credit to Memphis. Like I think, their system is the MVP, not, not John Morant. Yes. You know, yeah. um, Agreed. and like you look at the Warriors they're what's their record without Steph this year. It's really bad. Uh, like four and 12 or some weird thing. Three or four. As of a couple 12. days ago, they were one in six since he had gotten injured and then they won a couple games. Yeah. It's, it's, but he also missed games earlier this season. Cause for, you know, just standard back to back. It was like three and 12 or four and 12. I bet. Don't quote me on that. It's you somewhere should in the range. We should, on your next pod, you should before your next pod, you should look at the Warriors' record historically in games that Steph has missed. It's an incredibly bad. It's oh, agreed. Like no, I, it's I have. bad. And I remember when Kevin Durant was on the team, um, when he would miss games, the Warriors' record was well above five hundred. Like it was pretty darn good. And then even when Kevin was on the team and Steph would miss games, like they would always lose. And it's like Kevin, you're wondering why you're not as beloved. Yep. Who's way more important to the team, man? <laughs> yeah, no. Even now, I mean, Durant threw drop 55 the other night. They still lost, and they're I'm not totally with you, dude. The playoffs. That the Brooklyn Nets are not going to make the playoffs is such an embarrassment. Yes. Like Steve Nash should be fired. He won't be, but he should be. Like that's <laughs> awful. That's a strong opinion, dude. And I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with this though, Connor. You are welcome on this show, and you know the invite's open. That door is open for you anytime you want to come in. You're such a busy man. I wish you weren't as busy as you are. I want to share this last image with you before I let you go. So this morning, so uh, uh, Hall of Famer Rick Barry is going to join the program on on Friday. I consider him a, a close friend. Him and I host a podcast together. And one gripe of his, which I've started to pick up on, is the fact that Bill Simmons. I don't know what your feelings are about Bill Simmons. But uh, I, I personally, Simmons entertains me tremendously. I think his podcast is hilarious. Uh, he throws some interesting facts out there, brings his, some solid guests on. His articles when he was with ESPN were, were phenomenal. I, I was thoroughly entertained. But what Simmons has done, which is really, in my opinion, embarrassing and shameful, is that in his book, I keep, I've misquoted Simmons. I need to uh, issue an addendum and a correction here. And that Simmons did not call Rick Barry a prick. He called Rick Barry a dick. Uh, I apologize. Huge difference. Um, so I need to, to 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 first clarify that. But he called him a dick, and then he also in the in his book, the book of basketball, he perpetuated this ridiculous story that um, which has gone around for a long time. It started with Hal McCoy, who is still the voice of the Phoenix Suns, and he was calling that game in 1976 in the Western Conference Finals, Game Seven, where Rick Barry got into a fight early in the game, and Hal McCoy makes the accusation that. 
none of his teammates stood up for him, that Rick was in this fight all by himself. You could look at the YouTube video and see that is not true, and that Rick Barry was so upset at his teammates that he just took the second half off, basically. It's an absurd accusation. There's no Rick personally? No. But but Bill Simmons went ahead and wrote all this stuff in the book based off how I did the research. It's based off how McCoy's testimony, like it's his testimonial that he's basing this as fact. There's no truth to it whatsoever. Uh, and, and the part that's really upsetting and unethical is that Simmons will not invite Rick on his show. They've never met. All he does is base these accusations on hearsay. And it's it's absurd. It is it's offensive. And so I started deciding every time I, I mentioned a tweet with Bill Simmons, I include this disclaimer that has disclaimer. Bill Simmons called Rick Barry a prick. I'm sorry. It was Dick. Rick corrected that on me. Correct me on that. And that he also perpetuates this ridiculous falsehood. Bill, that Bill, and I, I like Bill. I like I like what the ringer's doing. Um, Damn. But he's uh, he's unique. I'll just say that in, in the he sense is, yeah. that he, he's carved out this lane, this incredibly successful lane that is unique to him. And I don't think any – I'm not sure if anyone else could be successful in that lane. And uh-huh. by that I mean like the diehard fanboy journalist guy. And look, it works for him. He's made it work, but it's unique. And I don't know anyone else who is openly rooting for teams and being a journalist. Like it's it's an interesting thing <laughs> that he yeah, has. You count me uh, in that thing, but I'm not writing these days. I'm and just I'm talking not on a judging. podcast. I actually think what he's done in his career is phenomenal. I think he's incredibly skilled. His deadline writing, I've read some of his deadline writing, and it is masterful. The guy yeah, is skilled and talented. It's just his lane is so unique. It's literally the Ben Simmons or Bill Simmons lane, and that's it. It's unique, man. It's almost like there's a there's few people in this world that just really carve their own niche. You're right. Simmons is one of them, like Charles Barkley. No one else can do what he does. No one else can say what he does and get away with it. It's it's just some people have to really establish themselves. (laughs) Who Clay Thompson? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, but Bill, man, just bring, I mean, he blocked me today, which shows me a, he was reading my tweets, which was kind of fascinating because he always claims he doesn't, he never looks at Twitter except for information from certain people. And he saw me tagging him, but um, dude, Bill, just bring Rick on your show, man. Like just stop perpetuating these falsehoods about him. Just clear the air. I don't understand why he's like hiding. That's what he's doing. Essentially he's hiding from Rick Barry. It's like Rick doesn't bite, man. Just clear the air. And then if you still hate me, you want to block me, continue on. That's fine. But I just, you know, that was it. Uh, you can follow Connor Letourneau on Twitter at C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N. Uh, he works for the San Francisco Chronicle, producing phenomenal content. You can follow me on Twitter at DogSurfRocho and this program on Twitter uh, at Locked on Doves. Connor, man, I hope to have you on back soon. Always a pleasure. Love you, man. Yeah, have bro. Day, dude. And, uh, you know, when I'm in, we got to meet up in San Ramon one of these days, man. You're going to be living here full time in a month, right? Yeah, soon. In the near future. My back, I have a beautiful backyard. We're hanging out. All right. Cool. <laughs> I got a spacious backyard. We'll hang out on the inside the house too, but the weather's about to warm up. So yeah, we're hanging out, dude. Long story short, yes, man. I'm I'm on board. And thank you, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow with Damon Bruce. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Speaking of a, of a someone who lights up a lot of fires, uh, for better or worse, man. That guy definitely entertains. And so Damon will join me tomorrow. Thank you, everyone. Later.